Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, listeners, Noel, Happy New Year. Happy 2021. Um, spoiler, as we record, it is still 2020, but hopefully, you know, we've made it out of the year. Okay. And when y'all are listening to this, it is 2021. Yeah, hopefully, as we joke, nothing terrible is going to happen over the course of the next 90 minutes as we record this. Yeah. Um, And things just go horribly awry for all of us. Um, Knock on wood, (laughs) hopefully. Um, What are you doing in the Kulzik Bunker for New Year's? Oh, I'm working. I have, I'm catching up on paperwork. uh, So is what I'm doing. So I have, so for my students, I take... um, pretty detailed notes of every lesson that they have. And then I, yeah, sure. I, I, they have private blogs for each student that I upload. So um, with our studio recital we had last week, I got behind on like, like basically filling in my blurbs to make them into sentences that make sense to anybody but me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I need to go through and like flush those out so they're readable and then give them to the kids so they have them for their records. Um, and I'm only at this point, I'm only behind by like 37 um and usually they take me about 10 to 15 minutes each so that's what i'm doing the rest of today as i am yeah i took i took the the day off from teaching because of the holiday but also because i was like and then you'll spend all day working like a person with a healthy healthy work-life balance yay yay and you don't even get paid for that time oh no of course not frustrating of course not. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. Why would I get paid for my time? That's a musician. That's not how it works. Um, but the um, the we will be doing some uh, uh, some amount of uh, the traditional New Year's meats and cheeses um, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, so that that's always delightful. We've stopped doing the puzzle thing many years ago, and I'm very grateful for this. Um, though uh, my mom is currently quilting and has been like painstakingly quilting for weeks so she's spending all day doing that while i'm spending all day typing uh and my dad is spending a lot of his day in the workshop in, in the workshop do, doing a, a carpentry building i don't know building okay. so i i know what the stuff. tools are like he's he's doing stuff yeah. and things for for various family projects so so uh yeah it's it, it's actually going to be a really i think productive day um, so, okay. so hopefully I'm very excited about what that means. Um, and yeah, I, I, this Noel, I, I had one lesson today. I had one lesson yesterday and I have one lesson tomorrow. And like, I'm so excited because I've been teaching between six and eight hours almost every day for the last two weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's been two weeks, yeah. Yeah, with just like a couple days where there were like four hours, just because of how things have moved around and people catching up lessons and all this different stuff. So like having, like this is, this is, I only have two Skype calls or like Zoom, like online conference calls today. And one of them is this, which is fabulous. And I'm so like, my students are great and wonderful. And I love them. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to keep teaching during this pandemic through video conferencing, like, 
oh, goodness knows what, what I would have had to try to do without that. It just wouldn't work. You know, I can't yeah. have lessons outside when there are inches of snow. <laughs> um, right. Um, but also, it's so draining. As everybody now knows, just how draining it is. So, um, yeah, I'm recharging is what I'm doing for the rest of my day. What are you doing for your day? Because I know you've already been working. Right. I finished. I worked for a few hours at one of my jobs. And then... Um, I am done with that. So um, my partner is going to make a sausage wreath as seen on Great British Bake Off, some variation thereof. I expect um, which... detailed notes and because they look, they look okay. delicious. But I'm very curious her experience with this. Like yeah. if it, you know, and and of course the, the tasting notes that you guys both have. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have tasting notes. I'm not sure how much... Um, like actual work notes I will have, but I will make sure to pass along anything she says. Uh Um, And then we also have a cheese plate. So that will be prepared as well. Um, And we're also going to watch contagion, which is the only pandemic related thing we haven't done this year, aside from tiger King, Mm -hmm. because tiger King. Um, So we're going to do that tonight. And it's going to be our last movie of 2020 is watching contagion. I think that's fantastic. Um, we yeah. did Contag- Contagion back in March as like right, a yeah, multi-household so right, thing. Yeah. Um, and it started out really funny. And then by the end, it was not. Um, so I'm fascinated to know what your experience will be. Because we were watching it right at the beginning, right? When it's like, right. doesn't seem so ridiculous. Um, uh, and, and like you could identify some of the things they were saying is like, yup, that's, that's what's happening right now kind of thing. But like the more extreme parts of it seemed really um like like good really well made for the movie but also it they weren't as much of it wasn't as touchy of a subject so i'm curious if it's gone all the way around so i look forward oh, to Oh yeah your sure absolutely <laughs> um so yeah i'm i'm excited i haven't seen it since it was in theaters so this will be my first time visit, seeing it in at least i don't like that movie's like at least 11 12 years old now i think yeah it's yeah um so I'm excited to revisit it. But that's what we're doing. Um, I'm going to try to stay up until midnight, um, hopefully. Knock on wood. Caffeine <laughs> and a nap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. Um, and then my partner is also working on a puzzle. Speaking of puzzles, um, my job at Science Alert sent everyone a moon puzzle. Um, and I don't do puzzles because they give me headaches. Because um, my brain doesn't do that kind of visual work. Um, but my partner is doing the moon puzzle upstairs right now and she's having a great time because she's also never done a circle puzzle before. So it's a lot of gray and it's a circle. It's, it's a lot of fun for her. Um, I'm assuming, I don't know. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, that is, uh, that's puzzles are super fun and satisfying as, as long as it's the right kind of puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. So that sounds like that could be you like that as long as it's the right number of pieces, you know, it's that a could thousand be, pieces. OK, that seems like that's a good that's a reasonable number, right? That's not like a three thousand yeah. piece. Everything is gray. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that seems like that is enough for it to be challenging and satisfying should you complete mm-hmm. it when you complete it. Um, yeah. But not so much that it's crippling and you'll spend a week with it on the table just like fighting so that sounds delightful but yeah the puzzle thing is only like it's kind of hard to describe the puzzle thing i feel like either you're a puzzle person or you're not um so yeah yeah that's i get it 
I think I'm going to make some popcorn later. Normally, I would do like a Twilight Zone marathon, but mm-hmm. if I let myself start a Twilight Zone marathon and tell myself I'm going to multitask, I won't multitask and I won't get any of my work done. So I'm still listening to podcasts while I type. That's good. That's good. I, good I was go. about to say you could just dive into TCM's uh, Thin Man Marathon, which they do every year. On no, because then I'll no. just watch it because those movies are awesome. The first couple of them are really good and then they get really bad because they stop drinking. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the Thin Man. Delightful. If you guys haven't seen the Thin Man, like learn from TCM. Yeah. Watch the Thin Man. It's very, very good. The second one's got Jimmy Stewart in it as a baby. He's such a baby. He's very good. Early Jimmy Stewart. There's some real yeah. classics in there. Um, obviously that one. Obviously, of course, the uh, Philadelphia story. There's a lot of good stuff in that early Jimmy Stewart canon. And late <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, of course. Every Jimmy Stewart. But um, we should get into our Week in TV, though. This week, we're doing our Winter TV preview, which is where we talk through the upcoming TV premieres, we're gonna like we're not gonna list every single show that's coming back. A lot of the network shows are coming back. We are going to list off the ones that we tend to talk about on the show um, and new ones that we're interested in. So uh, that will be coming at the end of the of the podcast. If we don't talk about a show that you are excited for, please reach out and let us know about it. I did a decent amount of digging. You know, looked at the Metacritic thing and then looked at some other like lists, and I think I've got all the big ones, but. There are so many channels, there are so many apps and networks and, you know, streaming platforms. It's very possible that I missed some, you know, show that you're really excited about. So if I did, or, you know, if Noel and I missed it, we haven't caught about it yet, let us know. Because there is at least one show, Noel, that I had no idea was coming that I am, like, waiting with bated breath, incredibly excited about. Um, and that'll be my little tease here for the end of the show segment. Um, but yeah, so it's very possible there are some very exciting shows that... We just haven't heard about yet. So looking forward to that conversation. But for now, we're going to take a break, listen to a little bit of string arranged, uh, I I think Billie Eilish, um, courtesy of Bridgerton, and come back with our week in TV. So we'll be right back after this. That was uh, Bad Guy, arranged for String Quartet, uh, as featured in Bridgerton, which is one of the shows we're talking about this week in Our Week in TV. Um, I have definitely played a wedding where I had to arrange everything, for various reasons, for two violins, um, but they wanted pop songs. So I have an arrangement of Pharrell's Happy for two violins, um, <laughs> uh, some Beatles music, some uh, some John Legend. I <laughs> So, like, when people, I, you know... 
Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes uh, it really doesn't. Um, but I thought they did a pretty good job with it in Bridgerton. So, you know, you know me. I had to include a little string music if I could. This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with Bridgerton uh, Season 1, which is, of course, over on Netflix. Then Noel's going to talk about Hilda Season 2. I will very briefly and spoiler-free preview RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13. The premiere is airing on New Year's Day, The Pork Chop. So as you hear this, you it may be coming out tonight or you may have already seen it. Uh, then we'll talk about some of our other episodes we've missed uh, since the last episode, which uh, where we did weekly TV, I should say. So The Amazing Race had its finale. Now it's about winning. Um, we have thoughts on that. Uh, we'll touch briefly on Amber Ruffin and the holiday extravaganza from December 18th. We could talk about The Flight Attendant, except we did a whole podcast about that. So... You know, go listen to us talk about the flight attendant there, but we really like that finale. And then, of course, we had to end with The Mandalorian, Chapter 15, The Believer, and Chapter 16, The Rescue. Um, so that, which of course is the season two finale of The Mandalorian. So a bunch of finales, some premieres, lots to talk about. So first up is Bridgerton. Um, we should say up at the top, there's going to be, you know, as a trigger warning, we are going to be discussing um, some sexual violence that occurs in the show. We'll talk about that later in the segment. But if that is going to be triggering to you, um, then you may want to skip ahead to the next segment. Check in the show notes to see the timestamps. So, but let's dive in with Bridgerton, which is based on a series of romance novels that I was not aware of, but apparently are quite, uh, like, the author is very uh, popular and, um, well, like, uh, one of the more... Uh, high-profile romance uh, authors uh, going right now, Julia Quinn, and this series of books, the series of eight books, one book about each of the Bridgerton siblings uh, finding their true love. So the first book is what this first season of Bridgerton is based on. Um, the book is The Duke and I, and it's about Daphne, who's the eldest daughter, but like the fourth eldest child, finding her partner. Um, and this, this is... An eight-episode, hour-long, Shondaland Netflix series that is a period piece set during the Regency era in the UK, um, in London, but also has Billie Eilish on the string quartet, as well as Taylor Swift and plenty of other artists. Um, it has uh, a combination of period and modern hairstyles and makeup and costuming, um, and it has... Uh, casting of of there's a bunch of black actors that are cast in roles that normally in previous adaptations like this and in the original and in the books yeah yeah the characters would be white so it's not it's not race blind casting but it is uh it's easy to to think it might be that from the early episodes and certainly from the trailers and such um so we'll and we'll talk about all that um, what, what, where I think we should start with this is I don't read romance novels. I, I don't really read novels the way that I know that I should and would like to because they take time. Um, so I have no background for this. And the only other show I've seen based on romance novels is Outlander. Um, so you've seen a little bit of Outlander, I think, or none? I've seen half of the first season. Okay, so you've seen you've seen some, uh, you see you've seen proportionately the same amount of Bridgerton season one and Outlander season one. I'm curious mm-hmm. um, how this how this show worked for you on its own, but then also if you were seeing any other trends that you noticed between these two shows, like adaptations of romance novels, um, and you know, is this a niche that we should expect to see more of, um, or is this a market that like 
it's it's a very specific thing. Comic book kind of based things have become universal and they're everywhere. Should we expect romance adaptations to to start breaking through and be everywhere? I don't know that they'll be everywhere, but I think that romance novels and provide a really great foundation for franchising television programs. Um, and you also skipped over one of the larger big draws of Bridgerton, which is that there's a Gossip Girl-esque character named oh, Lady yes. Whistledown, voiced Lady by Julie Whistledown. Andrews, who's obviously going to be revealed to be Adam Brody at some point. Like, that's Clearly. just, that's that's what I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> well, that, no, who is it? It wasn't, it's uh, Dan It Huff? wasn't Adam Brody, but I couldn't remember who it was. Yeah, the guy from You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That I should know um, his name. I apologize to the actor. It's not his fault. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to be Adam Brody because I want to see Adam Brody in Regency era um, costuming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I I do think that romance novels provide a really great entryway, especially series romance novels. Um, and I would love for those to get further adapted. Um, mainly because I think that they provide a lot of really great narrative pleasure. And they have for years, decades. And I don't think that there are anything to scoff at. I've read my share of romance novels in various milieus. Um, I've done historical, I've done science fiction, I've done contemporary. Um, and they all kind of follow those same patterns because it's a genre that the... It's a genre in which the format is as much of a draw as, the good, as a good story is. Because you want the ups and downs of... You know when the the couple's going to break apart, but then they're going to come back together. You know there's always going to be this weird thing of jealousy, but they can't communicate about it as clearly as they probably should because they're they're adults that are in love. This kind of thing. Um, where you no just one went, talks about their feelings. No one talks about their feelings until the end of the end of the story when they all are happy to talk about their feelings. The sex is always really really good. Um, just like all this kind of stuff. Um, so I, I really like romance novels, and I think Bridgerton hits a lot of those beats in the four episodes that I that I have seen, and I'll probably see the rest of this. Uh, my partner and I are kind of watching it because we don't really have much else to watch right now, um, and I'm half paying attention while I'm playing a game on my phone. But I think it hits a lot of those beats really well. I just... Some tropes of romance novels I don't like, including the whole jealousy aspect of it, and then the the sexual attraction that turns into violence kind of deal against other people is never one of my favorite things. I don't really care for that, nor do I care for I'm going to protect you, so I'm going to beat the shit out of other people, which is another really kind of common thing in certain... Lots of defending of honor. Right, in certain period piece of romance novels, um, which is, again, not my favorite thing. Um, so those things are all getting checked off the box here, and that's fine. It's part and parcel, it's the expectation. So I think this is generally pretty well executed, it's just not my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I have issues with some of the race representation, which is starting to kind of come forward a little bit, because to me it feels very plastic. Um, but they're the fourth episode makes some slight adjustments to that, but it still doesn't feel as lived in to me as it should, given that this is 1812. And while we've never been in a completely white society, even within the Regency, it's still weird that no one talks about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's, it's good. Um, It's just not my cup of tea um, as it were. Um, But I do like some of the characters and I do like some of the actors. Like it's got Nicola Colin from Dairy Girls. Oh, Nicola Coughlin. Wonderful. 
Coughlin, thank you. Um, as Penelope, who's just the best, and I want ever, all the good things for Penelope Feather, mm-hmm. Featherington. Um, I mean, that name, Penelope Featherington. Like, can you imagine being, like, the number of times they have to say <laughs> Lady Featherington? Like, just, just... Yeah, just, it's too many. It's, it's too many vocal warm-ups <laughs> that you have to do to get that. Yeah, red leather, yellow leather, Featherington. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. So, I'm... I'm liking this. It's fine. It's just not something I'm totally engaged by. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I do think some of the actors are pretty good and all the actors are very, very pretty. Like, it's a very pretty show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. Um, but you've seen all of it. So tell me what your experience was watching this and how you felt about it as a whole. Yeah, it is way more my jam than yours. Um, so I like I, I very much enjoy the beats and... Um, like you said, the box ticking of, mm-hmm. I would, I mean, I haven't read romance novels, so I assume it's there, but like the way that that comes through in like rom-coms and stuff, right, when exactly. it's well done, um, I find it really satisfying and really fun. So it's like, you know, it's like when you're watching a genre thing, it's like, oh, it's time for the standoff. Well, why are they doing a standoff? Because it's a comic book thing. Cause it's a Western. That's why they're all wearing yeah. hats. Don't just cause, cause it's cool. <laughs> it's fun. Um, so like. You know, there are there are deeper reasons for some of it, and they're just, like, it's a staple of the genre reasons for a lot of it. Um, so if you if this that's not your thing, then steer clear. But if that is your thing, I think you'll be uh, really entertained by a lot of what you have going on in this one. The cast is good, like you said. Um, I'll also point out um, Polly Walker, who I always think of as Adia from Rome, but she's done plenty of other stuff. She's really good as uh, Lady Featherington. <laughs> um, but really, the the whole ensemble, I think, works really well. Um, the, the dynamics between the siblings, because there are... They're, like, where you're at in the story, you've only met seven of the eight siblings because Francesca is, like, away staying with, like, visiting cousins or something. And she comes back in the, the later half of the season. Um, but they, I th- did think they did a good job establishing, really crucially, uh, the family dynamic and the energy between the siblings and, and the home. And, yeah, they do. And really, like, remarking on how this is not typical of this time period. This is a very modern family, familial, like, vibe in in their household, which is, uh, becomes a point of, um, a character beat, but also a plot beat, a plot point, uh, for several of the things that come together in the later part of the season. But, um, yeah, I think that it's, it's just, it's really, amiable and charming and fun the costumes are fabulous there's like the character like lady danbury is just like amazing you just every scene with her you're like yes you're awesome you're really cool she got okay. so drunk at that party and i was so happy oh it was very it was great just wait there's there's a there's like a um basically like a a, a married women of the ton of the town okay um scene that's that's yet to come that i think you will enjoy um, which where the ladies of the town are are putting the gentlemen in their club to shame with their drinking and gambling. So uh-huh. there's 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 fun things yet to come for you. But um, there there are a couple other things we need to I think yeah. mention when we're talking about this show, which is um, well let's start with the the inclusion of people of color. I really like that they did that for me. I think it is something that I. I hope will become just the norm in period adaptations because first of all, it is more historically accurate than having there be no people of color and also having there being like one or two and they're always servants, which is 
I guess that's I guess it's more accurate than having no people of color, but yeah. you know there were people of color throughout society. They weren't, you know, depending on which historians you believe, they weren't the queen. Some historians think that Queen Charlotte may have been biracial. Some historians think that she wasn't. Um, but certainly, when she when she, when she, if if Queen Charlotte was biracial, it did not spark off a you know a series of raising people yeah. of color to the peerage that did not happen. Um, but there were like th- this idea that you know all of our historical pieces need to are should be and are historically accurate if they are whitewashed is absurd. And I think you, if you don't have shows like Bridgerton making moves like this, you won't get a, the necessary pushback against that, uh, moving towards something, you know, a little bit more, certainly more inclusive, but also more historically accurate and more, you know, allowing more people to put themselves in the story and feel a part of the storytelling, which is the thing that's most important to me. So I really liked that. Um, plus, also, all the cast are really good. Um, I really enjoyed them. thought they did a good job throughout the casting. Um, the the other thing we need to talk that I need to talk about is there is a scene. Um, there there is a marital rape scene in the second half of the series, uh, the, the first season. That I don't know that the show. I think the show is trying to pretend that's not what it is, and it's certainly much better than apparently what happens in the book, which is undoubtedly without question marital rape. Um, in the they try to make it more ambiguous in the show, but I just I get really frustrated with shows either not treating the assault of male uh, and male presenting characters as assault and rape and and somehow glossing over that as if it's not real. Um, and also shows not understanding what they're depicting. Yeah. It's very strange to me. Um, especially like there's all sorts of stuff. Um, I know that there's a, there's a whole subgenre, uh, of ravishment fantasies, right. In romance novels for various reasons, but that that's a different, it's a different thing for me than trying to pretend that, ignoring consent isn't a violation that does not have long-standing implications and fallout and uh it does here but not for the re- not for those reasons for other reasons right yeah. so I'm, I'm tiptoeing around things um because you haven't gotten there yet um yeah but i've read about it extensively oh, okay so, so you know what i'm talking yeah. about okay yes i didn't um, know what you're talking about yeah and it's just it's really really frustrating for me and like i could completely understand if someone like, that was enough of a reason to not watch this show. I get it. I totally get it. Um, it, it was strange. We were talking to a friend of the show, Alice Shoemaker, um, about this a little bit. And um, they're like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say, I liked, I like Outlander's handling of rape <laughs> much better. Because I really don't like what they do <laughs> on their show either. But at least any sexual violence on that show has long-standing, significant impact uh, on the characters, on their psychology and where they're at, um, and is not something that is forgotten by the show or the other characters. Um, and it's part of their the tapestry of that character and their experiences from then on. And uh, so so Bridgerton, <laughs> I, I think what they needed to do was to just change, just 
and it's in the book. Okay, it's in the book doesn't mean it has to happen on the show. There's a way to take the essential parts of that scene and get to the result of that in a way that is not rape. And they did not choose to do that. They chose to tone it down and try to pivot away rather than saying, well, we can't do this. So how can we get what we need in a storytelling way without this? And um, it's very frustrating. Yeah, having read about it, it doesn't sound great. And it also gets into like a larger problem that I've like you made a mention about representation, but I'm always about like making sure that representation is a lived experience as well. Yeah. Um, and the dynamics of that rape scene also ca- cause problems as well. Yeah. Um, that I'm sh- that I don't I, I don't know how well aware that the show is that they've done this. Um, so I think that there's just a lot of very not great decisions made by the by that and i think this happens in episode six um so just kind of be aware of that when if you're going to watch the show and you're going to get to episode six be prepared for that yeah no it is it's episode six it's towards the end of the episode yeah having not seen it i can't really say much about it on like a visual or like how it gets presented within the show i've just read about it yeah um and it even from reading about it and having talked to you about it and having talked to Allison about it, um, it doesn't sound great. It's, it doesn't sound yeah. great. Um, and it's really frustrating when, like you said, that shows don't seem to be aware of the fact that they've done a rape scene, which is not great either. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, the, like, this is one of those things where you have to decide as you're watching it, am I going to, like, compartmentalize that part of it and go mm-hmm. with what they are intending to say versus what they actually said, or am I not? And if you choose to compartmentalize it and go with, well, what they showed was this, what ha- what we saw happen was this, what the story wants us to think happened is that, mm-hmm. so I will sub out my headcanon of that so that I can keep watching, Um then I think that is like for me that is the big problem with the the season, um, and it's something that I hope that they will learn from and not replicate in future. Like I don't know any of the other upcoming storylines, you know, for the other books. Yep. I don't know if there are similar, pro- uh, like difficult and uh, like no go storylines that they should just avoid um, and just skip. Uh, but hopefully this is something they will not reproduce in a different context with different characters moving forward. Uh, other th- other than that rather significant caveat, I really enjoyed the uh, the the season. Um, the uh, Julie Andrews is just the best choice <laughs> for for Lady Whistledown. Um, there's a lot of really it's just, it's just very it's very bingeable. It's very um, candy floss. It's very um, Again, in a, in a drearier time of the year when we just got some of our... I was outside shoveling the other day for quite a while. Uh, jumping into, you know, pretty colors and balls and fabulous gowns and hairdos and all of that is uh, is quite a bit of a delightful escapism. So uh, if it's your jam, check it out. If if you're like, no, 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 thank you. This is not my thing. Then steer clear. Next up, slightly tonally different, is Hilda Season 2 on Netflix. Uh, uh, you loved Hilda Season 1. I really yes. liked, I really enjoyed Hilda Season 1. I, I, love, I love how, in my head at least, 
you've, uh, over time, you've moved my reaction to Hilda season one to be like, you didn't even like it. Yeah, you didn't even like it, Kate. I liked it a lot. I just didn't like it quite as much as you. Um, I am excited, though, to watch season two of Hilda. So what should I expect? What did you think? Did this second season live up to the first season? I don't think it quite lives up to the first season. Um, And we're going to talk about this more next week. But I think that they're trying, they're striving for something a little bit more ambitious this season, um, a little more topical, um, which is interesting to watch them do. I don't know how well it works, um, but you'll know what I'm talking about almost immediately. Okay. Uh, um, There is also a fair bit of preteen angst, which is interesting um, for the show to explore. Um, So there are tensions between Hilda and her mom, especially in the later half of the season. Um, that not what I was expecting the show to kind of engage with. Um, and the degree to which it's successful, I think kind of varies from episode to episode. One of the things I do like about the season, however, is that almost everyone gets sort of like a little spotlight episode. Um, even, uh, Twig gets his own little special episode, which I think is really lovely as the show is a little less of an ensemble this season than it has been, was in season one. So, each character getting kind of a spotlight episode, I think really works to the season's advantage. Um, and then the finale's got itself a little bit of a twist. Okay. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, we'll be talking about Hilda some more next week after I had a chance to, to see to see season two. Um, our next show is the one, though, that I've had a chance to see before you, which is the season premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, season 13. Um, the, the This is The Pork Chop is the episode title. And I won't be getting into this because when this episode comes out, uh, not everyone, it won't have aired yet necessarily, depending on how quickly I edit. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh I can say, though, like, what I thought would be the big twist, and I was so excited for everyone to see, is one that everybody knows about because the show, like it always does, has released the first act, the first ten minutes of the episode on YouTube. So, there go. I was so excited, Noel, to watch it, like, to, to watch Twitter while everybody else started watching us, because mm-hmm. the first two queens come in to the workroom, and then they're, like, waiting for the third queen, and then the, the room mail video goes off and they're like, wait, what? Wait, what's what's going on? What's going on? So and then they have to head to the main stage because uh like they're 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 changing up the format this year. So instead of bringing in either all the queens or half the queens and then doing a, a first episode like what they traditionally do, we're kicking things off with lip sync for your life with the entire first or the entire like season thirteen cast. Uh, two to three queens at a time, and it is, uh, yeah, it is delightful. The song choices are excellent. They clearly were happy to spend on on these opening, um, you know, these premiere lip sync battle songs, which I was surprised, uh, very pleasantly surprised about. Um, and yeah, it, it was also was a, a nice way for us to get to see some of what the queens can do, but to also see them off their game. Right. A little bit because it's, you know, we all know what to expect from a first episode of of Drag Race. You're going to have the photo shoot. You're going to have like, so, like usually it's a crafting first challenge from like the, like the, the dig out of the, the trash or the dollar store kind of thing. Um, and instead they go right into lip syncs. And I don't necessarily think that we need lip syncs to be like the most important skill on Drag Race, even though that's kind of what's 
you know, come to be the case over this, these past, you know, I don't know, 10 seasons. But I think you just need to shake things up and to see the queens be, like, flat-footed. Um, right. Because at this point, if you're going on to Drag Race, you better have seen all the other seasons. And, like, it's such a demanding experience. The more, like, for, forewarned is forearmed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of neat to watch them all react. You'd think it would get old after the first, like, four sets. But no, it's still fun when you get to the last set of queens. Um, watch them go, like, wait, what's going on? What, but main stage but like now but like now main stage uh okay um so it's it's interesting i I, you know there's i was not ready for this season to start i needed i would have liked a little bit longer of a break but if the show's gonna be yeah i'm sure (laughs) if the show's gonna be back at least they're they're changing things up however i I do not like the end of episode twist which i'm hoping will be you know it's a to be continued ending null so i'm hoping Mm -hmm. that the thing that they say at the end of the episode um, will not actually happen, will get undone in the next episode, fingers crossed, because I think it's a bunch of bullshit, and we can talk about it more freely after you've seen it next week. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, there's some battle lines drawn immediately based on the structure of this episode, and 13 seasons in, you gotta be comfortable changing some things up, so. Uh, I'll be covering the show over at the AV Club again, uh, so you can read my recaps. I mean, I call it, like, there is some review in there. There's some of my thoughts, but mostly it's a recap. Um, yeah. So if, if if that is your your jam, go check that out at, at the AV Club. Otherwise, uh, we have plenty of other shows to get to. So let's move on to The Amazing Race and the season 32 finale. Now it's about winning. Um, so, I mean, we got a proposal on the mat. That was that was sweet. Yeah. What, what, what did you think of this finale? I think it's fine. Um, I, yeah, it was it was okay. Um, I think there's a lot of again the challenges were just really really easy. Um, they were like just time. Yeah, it was like that was the thing. It was just like they were just time consuming challenges, but they weren't hard. Yeah, just don't um, screw it up, right? Like don't yeah. miss the baby. Don't right. miss the, like the like when you're jumping off the bridge. Don't miss the thing. Yeah. And even that didn't seem particularly like difficult either. The um, the bridge jump um, off of um, uh, the Crescent City connection, um, and then yeah, the, like the hardest thing seemed to be putting together the panels on to make the globe, except for the fact that it didn't actually seem that difficult, yeah. um, especially based on the edit. It just didn't seem to be a particularly challenging thing to do. Um, which has been just the gist of this whole season. So watching Will and James kind of just be able to dominate, even though I was also just like, just eat the beignet. Just eat it. You have to eat three beignets. Yes, they're kind of large beignets. Eat the beignet. (laughs) Um, that it just, it just didn't do a whole lot for me. So like the only thing I could like take really any weird pleasure in was watching the beard bros get lost shouting in the one location and not moving from that location instead of trying to go, maybe we should go in the opposite direction of North Street to find South Street. Maybe we should do that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Who who yeah. could have thought of such a thing? Yeah, it's you're frazzled in the moment. Like, you know, we get yeah. it. But also, it was a little bit of diversion in a rather straightforward episode. 
Right, yeah. So, I like, I enjoyed watching people destroy a bunch of king cakes, but then I was also just like, you're just destroying a bunch of king cakes. It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? And I really hope that bakery got very well compensated for all those cakes they had to make that were then just turned into mush. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I just don't, my, my general sort of strong feelings about this was basically just like, it was a meh cap to a meh season. Um, but did you have like any strong feelings about anything that happened in this episode? I liked it more than you did. Certainly I enjoyed it more. I liked the things that they chose to spotlight. I just think that there are better ways to highlight them than the challenges that they chose. Mm -hmm. Like, like if there was something that they could do to get beads better or faster, like that would have been more interesting than just like standing on a thing and being like, please, I need green. I need green. Do you have green? Green, please. Like yeah. it's, it's not compelling visually. And then the only thing was like realizing, oh no, we need the big ones, not the small ones. Like it's not very interesting. I liked them no. playing with the band. That was more fun. Um, yeah. The, I would have liked a skill based thing and they didn't have a single like this only skill based thing was the puzzle and maybe it's just because two of at least two of the three teams immediately said oh we need to figure it out on the ground before we put it on the thing on the ball yeah and if if like if another team hadn't thought of that then it would have been a very different experience watching you know and the edit would have been very different but like they immediately realized that's what they should do so that made it a lot you know short like I would like to see them have to, I don't know, identify or, um, or or do something with the Mardi Gras Indians. I would have liked to see uh, something with music. It's you know beside or like the playing with the band was cool, but like I don't know, there are different things they could have done that would have I think had more been more dynamic to watch. Yeah. Than just we just need to push through it and get it done. We just need to smush all these cakes. Um, and, and the fact that really the we re- the reason that Will and James won was because uh was it Will or James? Whoever did I the think cake it was thing. Will. Will, yeah. Will did the cake thing. Um knew, had had king cake recently and knew exactly what size shape thing he was feeling for, right? Yeah. That's the only reason that they won, not because they did anything else better, yeah. but because he just happened to know king cake. Yeah. Um and that's not all that satisfying. I mean, they and they didn't mess up, right? They yeah. did a good job. They didn't mess up, which is also crucial. They didn't get lost. They got lucky with that, and then they didn't mess anything up. But um, you know, it's just—it's tough. They're thirty-two seasons in. It's not easy to make up challenges thirty-two seasons right. in. But it's kind of your job. It like, is absolutely yeah. their job. Like, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, and and I mean, you got New Orleans. It gives you plenty to work with. Right. There's so much to work with. And I think one of the other larger things is probably from a logistical issue of filming it at night also really limits a lot of what you can do. And I imagine that this was a choice that they made to allow a lot of freedom within like the French Quarter for them to have um, as opposed to during the day when there are many more tourists out and the day-to-day business of having to be in New Orleans is a little Probably a lot lower, depending on what season you're in. Um, well, and also just to get the the um, to be able to control crowds, be, to be able to yeah. get permissions for filming, like for yeah. people who are you don't have people walking through that you have to blur out. Like, yeah, yeah there's a lot of logistics that go into filming. Right, uh, it's yeah. different from when they like went to Atlanta during the day one season, just because Atlanta is so much sprawl, you can get by without really having any crowds. 
Um, but at the same time, it just makes it kind of less exciting because it is just a series of these are New Orleans things type of deals um, that don't really amount to much of anything. It was like beads, king cakes, floats, and not even anything really cool or challenging in the float in the float warehouse where it's just like, that's a cool space. Do this globe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I'm ready for a break, right? But Yes. And we're going to have a long break. <laughs> You're going to have a long break before they can film anything again, certainly. Uh, this might be the end of the show. I hope it's not. Yeah. But we'll see. That's going to be up in the air for quite a while, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, for sure. Our next show is the Amber Ruffin Show. Uh, and we're just mentioning this because they did their holiday episode. And first of all, Amber's outfits, uh, outfits as always, fabulous. Loved the bow. Loved the suits. Fantastic. And uh, I, was, I was glad to have the fun auntie back. But the highlight for me was definitely, well, the highlight was I want to kill you this Christmas. But the other yeah. highlight was Elf on the Shelf. Because Elf on the Shelf is creepy. I don't get, like, how this is a thing, right? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I teach my children that, like, something is watching them at all times. And they're constantly being monitored and observed. Like, that's terrible. Why would you do that to your kids? Like, that's not, that's not a good Lesson. That's that's a good like serious conversation about like privacy and the internet and cell phones and that kind of thing. But like to treat that as a lovely, fun holiday tradition is like I don't know. It's to me, it's not very Whereas Waldo. It's very Big Brother. So I'm not a fan. What What did you think about? What do you think about Elf on the Shelf in general? And yeah. what did you think about the sketch? I'm. I mean, I've never gotten Elf on the Shelf in like concept for the reasons you just kind of outlined. Uh, but I mean, we've also just very continuously done that with Santa Claus anyway. It's like a concept. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, et cetera, et cetera. Like Santa Claus has always been the surveillance state. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's not kid ourselves that this isn't. This is somehow like a new development. This is just a spinoff development of the entire Santa Claus concept. Um, or at least the way that we conceptualize Santa Claus now, et cetera, et cetera, a historical, et cetera. Um, so like, I don't get it, which is why I enjoyed this kind of riff on Elf with the Shelf, including like a mock fight and then fine, finally killing the elf and finding out that elf had a family <laughs> that he then married into, um, just like. <laughs> The 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 sheer surrealness of that I think is really great, um, and it was by it was along with the fun auntie bit, um, and I want to kill you this Christmas were probably my favorite segments as you just said, um, so those were all really really good and really funny. Uh, so I was glad to have the episode. And I'm glad we're getting more episodes. Um, Pretty soon, in the yeah. New year, yeah, yeah. Oh, and also it's nice sideburn uh, to. Um... To, to reference, you know, the shout out, the Seth Meyers show. Sideburn on Christmas songs that are just long lists of things and go on forever. It was, I like it, those was songs, it was, <laughs> I know they're fun, but also some like a platinum line. Only Eartha can sell a platinum line for yeah. the cor- chorus uh, or verse, I should say, of, of Santa Baby. Um, our, our last episode, uh, is The Mandalorian. We had The Believer and The Rescue. So what we're going to actually talk about. Listeners, if you don't want to be spoiled, there's some big stuff in Mandalorian. I don't know how you are alive and on the internet, as you must be to get this episode, without knowing this already. But just in case, skip ahead. You've been warned. So what did you think about our big, um, they should have cast Sebastian Stan ending? And what did you think? (laughs) 
What do you think of, you know, the reveal that we got at the the big, like, news dump that basically Mandalorian is taking next year off and instead we're going to get a Boba Fett um, mini, like, like who knows if it'll be a new show or just a mini series, but, like, we're getting a Boba Fett season and then it'll come back and probably do all the Mandalore stuff in in whatever season three is. Yeah, um, so I'm going to start with the second half first, um, because it's the part that doesn't enrage me as much. <laughs> um, I'm I'm okay with getting the Book of Boba Fett as a spinoff, um, mainly because while this is not something I'm particularly interested in, um, I am very here for Ming-Na Wen continuing to get a paycheck. Um, is how I feel about that. She should always be working. Um, and I will watch because she is on this program. Um, even if Phoenix and maybe not the most like interesting character as we've gotten across like three episodes, I kind of don't care because Ming-Na is so great. Um, so I'll, I'll be there for that. Um, I do think that they bungled the announcement of that by just waiting a whole weekend to be like, no, 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 no. This isn't the third season of the Mandalorian. Everyone, Pedro Pascal is coming back. He's not quitting. Don't listen to internet rumors. Mm -hmm. We're still doing the Mandalorian season three. It's just, we're going to take a year off um, because we have to develop these other eight shows that we have in store. And we also maybe have to retool Rangers of the new Republic because people don't like Gina Carano. Um, so all that kind of stuff, which I think all makes sense. They should have just said that it wasn't going to be the third season of The Mandalorian up front, as opposed to waiting until Jon Favreau was on Good Morning America on the following Monday to be like, no, 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 no. It's a different show. I promise. Um, as for everything else, um, in the finale of The Rescue, I'm very frustrated um, that the Skywalkers continue to invade within narratives that they just don't have any business being in. One of the joys of The Mandalorian has been the fact that it has been wholly separated from the larger Skywalker mythos, which has came to consume the new trilogy too much um, and has arguably kind of peaked too much into like the Clone Wars, depending on how you felt about it, but Ahsoka was always there to pull focus back from them, from Anakin, which was really key to that show's success. Um, so having Luke showed up was really the only thing that could happen reasonably. I understand that. But it just, for me, it undercut a lot of like the really kind of beautiful emotional catharsis of the little puppet hand touching Pedro Pascal's face. Because I kept going, but R2's just beeping in the fucking background, photobombing all of this. And it was really kind of frustrating for me to watch that. And on top of that, I just, I struggled with the lack of a larger reaction from Luke in that moment mm -hmm. of seeing a very tiny version of his mentor. And there's just like a lack of reaction to that, which I don't know what Luke's been doing for the past however many years, because again, the timeline for this has gotten really fuzzy. Um that where he is and all of that but it's it's way more muted than i feel like it should be mm -hmm. well theoretically that happened when grogu was on the stone thingy right and he yeah. reached out and and yeah. luke saw him that so theoretically that reaction would have happened then but it was sure. so much more important to them to have this be a reveal that we didn't yeah. see it 
Yeah. And so, like, he's already had time to process this. Like, there should still be a much stronger reaction. But whether it's CGI. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, or it's like, no, he's stoic, guys. He's stoic. Yeah. Like, either way, it's a bad choice. Again, just cast Sebastian Stan. It opens up so many more options for you if you want. Yeah. Um, he's already in the Disney Plus family. And, like, just have him come in for a day and do this stuff. And then you can actually have a connection. Yeah. A physical connection with the puppet and a person, as opposed to a body double that you're going to CGI a different face over. And then, like, hope that, like, I know they spent a lot of money on this, but still, like, it, their, their goal was not to have it be a good performance. Their goal was for it to look like young Luke. Right. And those are very different priorities. Yeah, and I think that it gets it it gets that point that you just make gets across really well by the fact that R2's response to Yoda to Grogu is feels more emotionally valid than Luke's does, which I mean has always been a weird thing about Star Wars that the droids are like the, arguably one of the emotional centerpieces of the entire franchise. But it's really weird in that moment that that's, that's your second most emotional payoff aside from uh, Din and Grogu um, saying goodbye, which is deeply emotional. And I think Pedro Pascal does really good work in that scene. Um, but it just left me honestly really kind of cold on top of the whole Luke slicing through all the, um, the droid super droids, um, mirroring, uh, Vader's invasion of the, um, Tanta four, um, in rogue one, just all this sort of stuff. Um, that I just went, kind of went, I, I didn't need any of this. I just, you missed the emotional point of the show the emotional crux of the show. And then you just, took it away from me. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I guess Mandalore, season three. <laughs> well, and also, for me at least, having him take his helmet off in the previous episode... Really undercuts it. Really undercuts it. So, like, yeah, I think what you totally need to do agree. is have him ready to take the helmet off. Like, have him choose that he's willing to sacrifice this, take the helmet off, but then not, then be saved from that situation by the cleverness of your writing in the previous episode so that we can have this be the payoff moment that, you know. Right, exactly. That would have, like, I was just like, that's that's just like a writing 101 thing. Like, yeah, that was my other problem um, (laughs) that I was going to, when we kind of backed over to the Believer, which I think is a perfectly fine episode, but they blow up a lot of mining platforms in this season. Um, That's true. Um, that because he, t- because he takes off his helmet, it, like you said, it just completely undercuts that big emotional moment because the line was apparently also getting the information, but also saying goodbye to this child. Um, and it was just really rough to not rough. It was just lousy. Like you said, lousy writing. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about the ending to season two of The Mandalorian. Um, I think that the believer raises some interesting sort of questions about belief and that kind of a thing, but the show doesn't have a good answer for it. And arguably the character doesn't either, which is another like larger problem. Um, that it just, it feels seated so that that emotional payoff and the rescue can kind of come through. I don't know that it, it doesn't really work. Um, but on the upside, I mean, 
Kitty Sackhoff's face when she realized that she couldn't take the Darksaber was pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, how did you feel about these two episodes? Because I've talked a lot and I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> That's fine. Well, no, I I, uh, I like a lot of what we got, um, but like... I don't like them undercutting the dark saber. It's like it's just this laser. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, yeah. it's just like the historical. It's like no. Also, it should be a super powerful, like difficult. To, like Excalibur is just a sword. It's like yeah, it's not just a sword. Yes, it is just a sword, but also it's a magical sword with a prophecy and all these other things around it. So like it's being like, eh, it doesn't really matter that that you have the saber itself. That's not what matters. Like. You can, it can be both. Let's yeah, let it no. be both. <laughs> yeah, it can be a very, it can be a thing that has a great deal of symbolic power. Like, it should, and it does. Otherwise, why are you chasing after it? Yeah. Well, it's like, there also are more fun things you can play with if, yes, it has meaning as a symbol, but also it's a hella powerful weapon that Din is not know how to wield or how yeah. to use and it has no training with versus these other characters have been learning to master or have years of experience with like that leads to a lot of other possibilities in your storytelling that now I don't think there necessarily are based on what they've established. Uh, I liked quite a bit of what we got in these last two episodes, but like, and I was very glad we did get uh, Katie Sackhoff back as Bo-Katan for, for this stuff. But I thought that they bungled our last stuff with, uh, and I'm going to say his name right now that I know I've been saying it wrong for 10 years, Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, and, like, his, like, because he's just so good. Um, oh, he's having the time of his goddamn life. It's so in this fun. episode. <laughs> it's very, it's very fun. But I, I didn't like how, because of where they were, how they were prioritizing some of this other stuff, how sidelined most of the characters get. And yes, mm-hmm. this should be Din's finale, right? He needs to save Grogu and all that stuff. Yes, I get all that. But I think there's a way you can you can set it up so that the stakes aren't so ridiculous that, like, you have to have the deus ex Luke, um, or the Luke ex machina, I should say, um, mm-hmm. at the end in order to make it work. You should, like... Skywalker think, ex machina, so you still get the sky Skywalker ex, Yeah, there you go. Skywalker yeah. ex machina. Um, but, like, yeah, like, th- there are... I think there are more satisfying ways to put the pieces together so that we get more from book 10 we get more like they just kind of just stood there and we're like give me stuff now where's yes. this you know and it's i mean whether it's budget whether it's time like you know when they were filming and how and all that who knows but uh yeah it was solid it was fun uh it was dramatic at the end um because I had heard, I had seen tw- that was something on Twitter, right? Make sure you watch right away. And I saw Sebastian's day was trending. I was like, and, I was, and people, I was like, oh man, did they really do it? Did they actually like cast him the way people have been saying they should for years? And then I watched it. I was like, no, they didn't. And it was dumb because they should have, because it would have been better. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a shame. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate Mark Hamill getting the, the voice, you know, performance back. You know, like, like yeah, at least there's that. I mean, I don't know. I just. I think the other reason is that if they're going to send Grogu off into the sunset, sending him off with Luke is pretty much the only thing you can do right? to have us be okay with that. Like, they did a good job of establishing Ahsoka, so, like, maybe we would be okay with him going, like, and we also watched Din, like, kind of processing that and, and starting the trying to let go process with, you know, you're going to go with, with a Jedi and that's who you belong with and that's what's best for you kind of the thing. But, like, if they had brought in some of the other Jedi that are still out there that people were speculating about, 
Right. I think it would have been, like, the idea that Grogu's off the show now, which seems like is the case. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about a risky move. <laughs> um, right. This is the Baby Yoda show. Um, yeah. And so doing a third season with little to no Baby Yoda, like, you can see why they want to take a year off. Like, they want to distance that in the audience's memory. And so if you're going to do that, um, making sure the audience is not worried about Grogu, at least yet, until, you know, Ben grows up a bit <laughs> and becomes Aww. Kylo, you know, um, I think is a good way to do that. So, you know, I see, you know, like, I see what they're doing. I see the choices. I just think there's better ways to execute the choices that they wanted to go with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I can, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I would have also just been satisfied with a lone wolf and cub situation in which oh, yeah. they never find a way to give off Grogu. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, like I said, Luke is, and as you said, Luke is really the only best option. Like, yeah, maybe Ezra shows up. Um, maybe Kyle Katarn Katarn shows up. Um, so like a cast or something? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so these like, are the names I'm not familiar with, but I just have seen people talking about <laughs> over the last few weeks of Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, and all of that would have been neat, but it would have also been a different kind of fan service than having Luke Skywalker show up, which is another instance of like very specific fan service mm-hmm. um, that just would have wouldn't have landed in the same way. It would have like actually only landed for like a smaller section of people, but because the show wants to appeal to as wide of people as possible, having it be Luke is the only thing that makes sense, but it still just rings weird um, and kind of flat. Yeah. Well, I'm taking, take it. It's not this. What wins your week on TV? Um, I'm going to give it to Hilda season two um, of what I've watched this past couple of weeks. Um, but I suppose I could also give it to the flight attendant. Um, so I think I might actually, yeah, I'll do that. I'll give it to the flight attendant. I'll cheat and give it to the flight attendant, um, which had a really good finale that we discussed on streaming in place. Um, what about you? What, when you're like end of December in TV? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you stole my thing. Uh, flight attendant finale won my, won my, two weeks in three weeks in TV um, because it was a really strong finale. It was super fun. So um, yeah, I, yeah, if, if it was going to get to something that I, but see, maybe Mandalorian, maybe Bridgerton, but yeah, really it's the flight attendant. So that's what I'm going to go with. Now we'll take a break and come back with our winter TV preview. Bob Ross was wrong. Everybody can't paint. It's not true. I was hoping that this show would be educational, but I really don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So I will teach you things I learned from life as I go. Look at that. I think I'm gonna take it down and put it to good use. I just want people to know that none of the trees in my painting are happy. They're all miserable. They are very unhappy. The flowers in particular are miserable. Isn't life strange? You should try this. Just what the water does, what the paints do. Better than watching TV. And I think it's really important. It's good for you. Thank you for stopping by. (laughs) 
This week, uh, for our special segment, we're doing our winter TV preview. So we're going to go through and talk about the upcoming TV premieres and returns. Um, the premieres that are of new shows that are happening on the networks and the mainstreamers, um, or less mainstreamers that I've heard about. Um, and then the returns that we are more looking forward to as well. So we're going to kind of trade off and we'll go, like, say, wh- when it's premiering, what channel, all that stuff, and give a little bit of information for, you know, for the shows that we think need it. Um, so first up, uh, January 1st, New Year's Day, we've got Cobra Kai Season 3 is dropping on Netflix. We've got the Doctor Who New Year's special, Revolution of the Daleks, on BBC America at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Um, and, of course, we have the return of Captain Jack. Also, Chris Knott's, like, you know, Trump stand-in is coming back for that. I did not know that. That's exciting. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this when the Doctor is still in that Jadun prison. So we'll see what happens. Um, also, we have the premiere of Season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race, and also Untucked is going to be after that. That'll be also at 8 p.m. Eastern on VH1. Um, then on Sunday, this coming Sunday, January 3rd, we have Call Me Cat, which is a new sitcom on Fox. It's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern, and that is a remake of the British uh, sitcom Miranda. Are you familiar with Miranda? I am. My partner and I actually watched a few episodes of it uh, early in the pandemic because I'd never seen it and she had seen, I think, most of it. Um, my mind was blown when <laughs> I read that this was a remake of Miranda um, because I was like, wait, what? And then now I see that Cheyenne Jackson is in it, and I was wondering who was going to be the Tom Ellis, <laughs> and now I don't have to wonder anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, I haven't seen Miranda, but I am I I would like to. I just imagine it's on to, Hulu. Like, it's on Hulu. Okay, so maybe yeah. that'll, that'll be my next like thing that I like catch up with. But this stars Mayim uh, Bialik as and you know as Cat. Um, we've got Susie Kurtz, Cheyenne Jackson, Kyla Pratt, and Leslie Jordan is you know all there as well, being doing his Leslie Jordan thing. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly interested in this. Uh, what this just makes me want to do is go watch Miranda. <laughs> um, also on Sunday, we have Elizabeth is Missing on PBS. This is at 9 p.m. Eastern. And this is a, I, believe, I thought it was a series, but I think actually it's a TV movie starring Glenda Jackson. It aired in the UK last year. It's one of their masterpiece kind of co-production things between PBS and BBC. Um, and this is about a woman who is elderly, who has dementia, who has to try to overcome that so that she can help solve the disappearance of her friend from quite a while ago, I believe. So I hear it's good. I don't know. Fingers crossed. Glenda, Jans- Glenda Jackson is, of course, amazing. Uh, also, two more shows on this coming Sunday, January 3rd. Uh, after Call Me Cat on Fox, we have The Great North, which is the new animated uh, family sitcom that they're doing over on Fox. Um, this is by some of the Bob's Burgers writers, and it's already been renewed for season two. It follows an, a, a family that lives in Alaska, and it's got Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, Jenny Slate, Will Forte, Dulce Sloan, Paul Rust, Aparna and Charla, and Alance Morissette shows up as herself. So don't know much about it, but, you know, talented voice cast. If, if Fox Animation is your thing, maybe check it out. And the last one I have here in this section is also on Sunday is The Watch, which is on BBC America at 8 p.m. Eastern. This is the that adaptation of the Discworld novels, but I don't think it's... I, I haven't read the Discworld novels. My understanding is that this is set in that universe, but not actually, like, adapting any of the particular novels in that universe it's gonna be eight episodes um and it stars richard dormer uh lara rossi wendell pierce and matt barry apparently voices a sword are you going to check this out i'll probably check out the first episode terry pratchett is not a thing i enjoy actively 
um, which makes me a heretic to a number of people <laughs> I know. But yeah, I've just never gotten into Terry Pratchett. Um, what about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't read them. I've read other Terry Pratchett, I believe, but it's long enough ago that I don't remember how I feel about him. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a slightly leery that I haven't heard more about this because Pratchett is so big and Discworld is so big. So why aren't more people talking about it? Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll watch it. What's up next? So on January 5th on Netflix, we've got The History of Swear Words, which is hosted by Nicolas Cage, um, who I imagine just does quick intercessuals based on the latest trailers in which actually we get a series of talking heads from comedians as well as historians and linguists talking about the history of various swear words. Um, This is a six part. So I know that they're doing... They're doing Pussy. They're doing a couple of other, obviously okay. four more, but I can't remember which one. Oh, so like each episode is a different word. Yes. Each episode is focused on a different word. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Nick Cage hosts that. Um, He already looks very Nick Cage in the trailers, which I'm very excited about. I guess we should specify that it's a documentary, not a comedy. So like. Right. But it's, yeah. yeah it's, but it's going to be funny. Yeah. It's going to be funny. Um, and then also on January 5th, uh, both of these are on Tuesday, um, January 5th at 8 PM Eastern Zoe's extraordinary playlist comes back for its second season, which I'm excited about. Um, January 6th, Wednesday on Fox name that tune premieres or comes back for a second season. I feel like they've done some variation of this. Oh, beach Shazam is the other version of this. (laughs) Um, this one is hosted by Jane Krakowski. However, um, that is and Randy Jackson, which I did not know when I put this together. Oh, okay. So it's hosted by both of them. Jane Krakowski's presence is not enough to get me to watch this, (laughs) but all right. Um, on Thursday, January 7th on CBS All Access, we get Coyote, which is a drama series from the creator of Southland, uh, starring Michael Chiklis as a former American Border Patrol agent finding work on the other side of the border. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> um, on January 7th, also on January 7th, on Thursday, uh, NBC at 8 p.m. has a new comedy from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. This will be Mr. Mayor, which stars Ted Danson, Holly Hunter, and Bobby Moynihan coming back to live action after a long stint in animation. Uh, Ted Danson, I'm presuming, plays a wealthy businessman who runs for the mayor of Los Angeles, and to his surprise, he wins. Gee, I wonder what the inspiration for this could be. Like, I wonder. I've seen so many ads for this. I, mean, I, I haven't Have seen, you? Like... I have not seen a single ad for this. I did not know what this was. Oh, yeah, no. I haven't seen any, like, video ads. I've just seen, like... Like oh, okay. pictures and stuff, and okay. I don't click because I don't want to. I am not interested in watching a show about a wealthy businessman who runs for office on a lark and expects not to win and wins because yeah. it's Ted Danson. So we're gonna like him to some yeah. extent, and I don't need that. Some extent, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he's just in like Becker Plus mode, but who knows? The point remains. Yeah, the point, the remains. point remains. Don't leverage my enjoyment of Ted Danson, of National Treasure Ted Danson, into this property. On January 8th, on Friday, uh, Dick- Dickinson Season 2 drops on Apple TV Plus, or Apple Plus, or whatever it's branded as. Um, so, continuation of the very popular, uh, much beloved, we have not watched any of it because we don't have Apple TV, um, Dickinson Season 2. Yeah, so. I like the the pilot that's as much as i've seen um right, exactly they're doing three episodes on the eighth and then they're doing one episode a week after that 
So carve out some time for that day if you if you're into Dickinson. Otherwise, it's going to be one a week. Um, also on Friday, January eighth, um, we get Pretend It's a City from Netflix, which is Martin Scorsese's documentary about author Fran Lebowitz. Um, so that'll drop. Um, I believe that's just a film, not okay. a series. Um, so that should drop. Uh, that drops on Friday the eighth. Also dropping on on January 8th or maybe Saturday, um, January 9th, is the premiere of Promise Neverland Season 2, which you and I discussed uh, for in August, um, the anime series about a bunch of orphans who lived on a meat farm. <laughs> um, spoiler. Um, it has No one has announced a license for this yet, which is why listeners in our spreadsheet, it's just the shrugging emo- emoji for the channel that it's on. <laughs> Um, because no one's announced that they have this license yet. I'm assuming it's going to be on Crunchyroll initially, but I honestly don't know. And Crunchyroll is being really cagey with um, some of their releases, but hopefully we'll know more next week. Um, and then finally, on January 9th, that Saturday, um, Shudder and Sundance will get season two of A Discovery of Witches, which... I think my partner finished and liked okay. <laughs> yeah, like, when I was looking at my end of the year thing, I was like, oh, yeah, I watched all that. Yeah, you gotta you gotta really kind of screw up to have me not want to talk about this show at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, but, like, how do you take that premise and, and, and that cast and mess it up? Um, and just, it does not, did not stick in the memory. So we'll see if I watch season two. Uh, may, I may seek it out, but uh, I also may just let it kind of, like, build up and then binge it sometime when i'm sick we'll see um on january 10th which is a sunday we've got a couple shows uh all creatures great and small is starting on pbs uh 9 p.m eastern this is the because there's the novels by james harriet right about life as a country veterinary surgeon in yorkshire dales in the mid 20th century and this also was a a famous um and somewhat beloved uh uk series in i think 80s 80s? i think you're right yeah i think in the 80s yeah, um, and it ran for quite a while, um, but uh, this is a new one, and this is, among other cast, it has Diana Reagan, one of her final roles. Um, season two has already been ordered, so uh, they're, they're already going to be back for a little bit more. I don't know if I'm going to see this one out. I don't have any connection to the original one, but you say Diana Reagan, I'm kind of going to be there. So yeah, I'm not there, though, for season three of American Gods, which is starting on How? Stars. How? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Yeah. Remember when this was a thing for like a hot second? We were really excited about it. No, no, no. You were really, I was really you, excited about it. I was less excited because I did not like the book very much. Yeah. Um, but then the first season was just so bad. It was not good. It was it was not good. Anyways, if that if you disagree, if this is your jam, Sunday, January 10th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um over on the 12th, which is a Tuesday, uh, we're going to have Trickster, which is a CW sh- new, a new CW show, 9 p.m. Eastern. This is a, uh, a Canadian show that is an adaptation of Eden Robinson's um, book series. Um, so I don't know anything about it other than it's another one of those uh, shows, like Canadian shows that CW's like, yes, please, thank you. So, you know, they're going to hope it catches an audience. Then on the 13th, uh, which is Wednesday, we've got Call Your Mother, which is the like the only new sitcom that ABC is doing this year, uh, which is, and it's multi-cam. It's about an empty nester mom who tries to like reconnect and reinsert herself into her kids' lives. Uh, it has Kira Sedgwick is the mom, is the mother. And it's from the creator of the new adventures of old Christine, Carrie Lizer. So, you know, new adventures of old Christine, much better than it had to be uh, for a long yeah, time. It's pretty good. So 
Yeah, who knows? This is at 9.30 uh, Eastern. Um, then also, same night, uh, we've got on Hulu, Everyone is Doing Great, <laughs> which is just a really good title, I think. Yeah. For this show, which is a comedy uh, starring James Lafferty and Stephen Coletti. And uh, this is about actors uh, adjusting to their life five years after the end of their TV show, which is a hit uh, vampire TV show. Um, and nice. it's eight episodes, and they all stream that same day. So I feel like this, like, that's a good, that's a solid premise. And eight episodes, uh-huh. I think, is a good episode count for that premise. Uh-huh. So this could be really fun, or it could be completely forgettable. Yeah. We'll see. Um, Thursday, January 14th, season four of Search Party drops on HBO Max. Um, amongst, you know, like the rest of the cast, you've got Susan Sarandon, Busy Phillips, and Dowden Griffin Dunn this, this season. They're going to have the first three episodes on the 14th. Then the next week, they're going to have, uh, three more episodes. And then the the Thursday after that, on the 28th, they're going to have the final four. So it's going to be split up over three weeks over on HBO Max. And then the last one for this chunk is, uh, WandaVision, which is on Friday, January 15th. Um, obviously, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, if, I'd be surprised if you didn't know what that was. Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn. This is on Disney Plus. Of course, this is the, the show that we know like nothing about, about, uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision. Um, and I, I have stayed as like completely oblivious to it as I possibly can, very intentionally. So anything you want to tell people about, Noel, about WandaVision, other than we're going to check it out? I'm kind of excited about this and I'm hoping it's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I've, I've watched all like the trailers for this and I've kind of steered, like Kate just said, kind of encouraged her not to, um, cause I want her to go into this as cold as possible. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm actively excited about WandaVision and the stuff that they appear to be doing in it based on the trailers. Um, and if you're a big MCU fan, WandaVision feeds directly into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in which Scarlet, which uh, will play a part in as well. Okay. Yeah, so on January 17th, uh, Sunday on the CW at 8 p.m., Batwoman returns in season two with a whole new cast member um, heading up Batwoman. I-, I will say the premiere title is pretty good. Whatever happened to Kate Kane? It's a good, it's a good title. That's a good title. I'm, I'm, I'm there for that title. I, yeah, I'm, I mean, every, I think people who are involved in, invested in the Arrowverse are going to check this out. Um, mm-hmm. We certainly will be just to see what the hell they're going to do. Um, so I'm curious about how that's going to shake out. Also on Sunday, January 17th um, on PBS at 8 p.m., the Miss Scarlet and the Duke um, is a, a six-part masterpiece mystery series starring Kate Phillips, which deals with Victorian London's first female detective. This sounds vaguely familiar to me. This aired in the UK last year, so you might have heard yeah. people talking Maybe about it. Maybe it's that. Is, if, is this based on a series of books, though? I don't know. It might be, which is why it's familiar to me, because I think I read something vaguely along these lines a couple of years ago. Okay. That involved a lady detective and a duke. So maybe. All right. Anyway, I'll have to look into that because that sounds very much up my alley either way. Um, <laughs> it's already on the rundown. I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so on Thursday, January 21st um, on HBO Max, Gamora season three premieres, which is an Italian crime drama. Also on the 21st, uh, Freeform has the third season of Grownish. And finally, on the 21st, uh, the CW premieres Walker, Jared Padalecki, as 
sad about his dead wife, Texas Ranger Walker. Um, there are no roundhouse kicks in the um, trailer, so I don't know what the hell this show is going to be. Because <laughs> um, what's Walker without roundhouse kicks? Um, January 22nd, that's Friday, Painting with John is going to premiere on HBO. This is John Laurie of Fishing with John. Uh, he hosts a six-episode series in which he shares his paintings and reflects on his life. I don't know who John Laurie is. <laughs> Who's John Laurie? Wait, do you do you know Fishing with John? No, I don't know Fishing with John. You don't either. know Fishing with John? Okay. No, I don't know. Listeners, Kate is incredulous right now. We've done, we did this on the Televerse, like, years and years and years and years ago. Um, this is, okay, so, like, it's just, it's... It's its own thing, right? Like uh-huh. it's a, it's again, it's a six part uh, series where he people go fishing with John. That's it, and okay. uh, but it's like he's an artist and uh, and I, a musician, and it's just it's one of those ones you, you gotta just watch it. So, so okay. you should watch Fishing with John. It's okay. it's an easy watch and it's very strange and funny. Like it's definitely, I would say, a precursor to some of the stuff we've re- been getting more recently with your um, how tos, right? That kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. it is is just more. It's very. I I don't know how to describe it. It's a really good show though. So this is the okay. one that blew my mind. I was like, whoa, 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 fishing with John. There's going to be painting with John. Like, I don't know anything about this. How did nobody tell me that John Lurie was doing another show? And if it's anywhere near as as interesting and uh, just kind of very chill, but also very strange as Fishing with John is, I am fascinated and I can't wait to watch it. So I'm going to try to de-hype myself. Yeah, because you seem quite hyped. I'm very hyped. I'm very, very excited. Excited about this. Like, I am... And it, there's a small group of people who go, wait, wait, you don't know Fishing with John the way I just did? Mm-hmm. And we're all very excited about this if we know it's happening. <laughs> but I didn't know it was happening until I put this all together. So, uh, yeah, highly recommended um, if you don't know Fishing with John. Okay, noted. I will maybe seek this out. You've <laughs> hyped it up so much that I'm afraid to watch it at this point. Well, I mean, because um. it's, it's just like... it's. Like, it's very experiential, right? It's just John Lurie fishing with people. Um, it came out in 1991, and it's, um, he goes out with different guests. So he has Jim Jarmusch, he has Tom Waits, he has Matt Dillon, he has Willem Dafoe, he has Dennis Hopper for the two-parter. And, like, they do different, like, they go fish for Snapper in Jamaica. They go fish for, uh, giant squid in Thailand. They, like, like, it's, and just weird stuff happens. So, like, like here, the, the, Dennis, like, the Willem Dafoe description summary is ice fishing in northern Maine, Dafoe and Lurie run out of crackers and face starvation. So, like, that's the kind of show it is. Okay. Like, Mad Dylan and Lurie fish in San Jose, Costa Rica. Supernatural events ensue, right? But it's all in the context of just, like, one of those super chill and laid back kind of fishing shows the the kind of um ambient tv that only you know was invented by emily emily and perry um you know and did totally totally didn't exist before then um so yeah it's just like yeah i really i really love it i think it's i think it's great and it's certainly very very interesting (laughs) now this one i don't know that there are going to be any guests or anything yeah but um but yeah yeah no john laurie is uh he's an actor and a and a musician and a painter and um so yeah, he's 
he's really he's really interesting. So I'm I'm certainly very very interested to see what this is going to be. And I would imagine most people that you tell of that about that this show is happening, you say painting with John. They're like, wait a second. And you're like, yes, it's a sort of a you know. I it seems like it would be like with that title, it's got to be a companion series to Fishing with John. People will either be like, that means nothing to me, or they will have the reaction that I had. <laughs> okay. So that's what this is. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you're going to have to start talking again in a second. Um, so on January 22nd, on Friday, on Hulu, The Sister Drops. This stars Russell Tovey. Um, the creator of Luthor adapts his own novel, Burial, into a four-part thriller. Uh, all the episodes drop on the 22nd. Uh, this deals with a man hiding a terrible secret, and then he receives an unwelcomed visitor. I, like, you had me with Tovey, kind of lost me. With, with Luthor. Descri- with Luthor in the description, right? Yeah. A lot of people love Luthor, but like, yeah. Um, quick question. Are you going to check in with Gronish season three? I guess it's the second half of season three of Gronish. I didn't watch the, f- did, I don't think we watched, I don't think I watched the first half of season three. Did we not watch? I thought we talked about it in the show. Maybe, maybe I just have it in my Maybe, maybe we did season two. I don't know. Gronish's like split seasons really kind of confused me this year mm-hmm. or last year. So I don't, I don't know. At this point, probably not, mm-hmm. but yeah, okay. we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, on Sunday, January 24th, we've got a few shows coming back. Uh, there's the Euphoria um, uh, holiday special. They did two holiday specials this year, um, which this one is Fuck Anyone Who's Not a Sea Blob. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern on uh, uh, HBO. Charmed Season 3 is back on the CW, also at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then over on Epics, uh, there's going to be Bridge and Tunnel, which is a, like a six-episode, half-hour dramedy that follows recent recent college graduates um, who are living in Manhattan in 1980. That's from Edward Burns. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I'm not going to see what happens with Snowpiercer when it comes back for season two on January 25th, which is a Monday. Um, TNT at 9 p.m. Eastern. But like yeah, Sean Bean is joining the cast, I, and then dies immediately. Yeah, Ron <laughs> Blatcher is joining the cast, but I don't. That's not enough to get me to watch that. Um, over on ABC, both Blackish and Mixedish are back on January 26th, which is a Tuesday, um, 9 and 9.30 p.m. There, so they're going to be back to back. Like, maybe. May, uh, like, of the three, I guess I'm most likely to come back for Grownish and then then Mixedish. But we'll see. We'll see if I make time. Um, I haven't heard of this one before, like, seeing quite a bit of, number of ads recently. But on January 27th, which is Wednesday, Sci-Fi or Sippy has Resident Alien at 10 p.m. Eastern, which is apparently an adaptation of a Dark Horse comic about an alien who crash lands on Earth and is passing himself off as a country doctor. And he has to decide okay. whether he's going to integrate with the, his community or if he's going to try to you know, do his original mission, which was to kill all humans. Um, okay. And so this stars Alan Tudyk as the resident alien. Um, it also has Alice Waterland, who I, of course, really enjoyed on um, uh, People of Earth. Um, Corey Reynolds, Sarah Tomko, Levy Feeler. Um, so, yeah, this one's getting a lot of push as well. We'll see if it's any good. On January 31st, there's the Grammy Awards on CBS, Trevor Noah's hosting, and then there's The Long Song on PBS, which is apparently an adaptation of a novel by Andrea Levy. Uh, it's a three-part ab- adaptation. It's, I think it's going to be like three days in a row, but I could be wrong on that. Um, this is about uh, it's set during the final days of slavery in Jamaica, so it's a period piece. It stars Tamara Lawrence, Haley Atwell, and jo- uh, Jack Loudon. Um, and again, that's a 10 p.m. Eastern PBS. Yeah, not all the, like 
I'm I really like Haley Atwell, but I don't know if I like Haley Atwell enough to watch that show. Yeah, yeah, that 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 seems to I am in agreement with you there. Um, so on February third on Netflix, I have great news for everyone. Firefly is back. Oh no, sorry, I'm I'm reading that incorrectly. Firefly Lane drops all its episodes. This is a ten episode adaptation of Kristen Hahn's novel of the same name of lifelong friends across decades. This uh, stars Catherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk, which solid solid choices for lifelong friends. I think that's really that's that's a good duo. I think. Um, and I apologize for the Firefly tease. That was really mean of me, but could not help myself. On Sunday, February 7th, we've got the Super Bowl on CBS starting at 6 p.m. Now, the game probably won't start until much later, um, and then we'll continue to go on forever. Um, But, you know, that's just how things go. But um, in the post-Super Bowl slot, we get The Equalizer, which is CBS's latest drama that stars Queen Latifah, Chris Noth, Adam Goldberg, Lorraine Toussaint, and Tori Kitties. This is the new version of the Equalizer franchise that has previously had Edward Woodard and Denzel Washington um, in the film version. So, yeah, I did not know this was happening. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. Um, I'm not all that interested in it, but I like Queen Latifah and gender swapping the vigilante is interesting. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on February 8th, on Monday, Monday, February 8th at 9 p.m. on the CW, Black Lightning returns for its fourth season. Uh, on Thursday, February 11th on CBS at 10 p.m., Clarice begins to appear. Um, uh, folks, I am I am definitely watching this um, in part because I'm just so excited by all the discourse around Clarice. This is set shortly after the events of Silence of the Lambs. Um, Clarice, as in Clarice Starling. Um, my favorite thing about this is that they're not even allowed to say the name Hannibal Lecter on the show. Oh, okay. So that actually is much more interesting. <laughs> I'm just so excited to see how they go around not mentioning Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know how you do that. Um, but yeah, um, my favorite thing so far about this has been Alex Kurtzman's starting to do press for the show. And one of the things he has said is that he still can't wrap his brain around the rights issues surrounding all of this, to which I go, Alex, it is not complicated at all. It is, in fact, quite simple. (laughs) Um, But apparently he just doesn't understand. Um, They will be, as Kate notes here, it's going to be fairly serialized um, as they're going to focus on one big serial killer that is also not Buffalo Bill inspired or anything along those lines. But... Alex Kurtzman has inspired, has promised that this serial killer is going to be very topical, which makes me feel very, very nervous about whatever this serial killer is going to be. I'm getting really bad, like, Starker flashbacks, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't like that. I don't care for that. Um, so I'm I'm not super excited. Um, but I'm still going to watch it because I want to see this train wreck. I also hope it's kind of good, but I really kind of want it to be a train wreck. Um, are you going to check this out just for the sheer what the fuckery of it? Well, like, no? for the podcast, I might, but, like, no. Like, yeah. the thing that had me intrigued was the, oh, they can't mention, mention Hannibal. Because the rights thing, for people who don't know, is that basically the TV show Hannibal had the rights to everything except Clary Starling. Yeah, anything that was not originally created for Science of the Lambs, the novel. They had the rights to everything that wasn't original to Science of the Lambs, the novel, which meant Clarice, which meant Barney, which meant Buffalo Bill. 
Yeah. And like a couple of other very small characters. But otherwise, the DeLaurentis have the rights to the rest of the Hannibal universe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's not difficult. Yeah. Like everything that Hannibal was able to, couldn't touch is the stuff that they can do. Um, yes. So that's, that's, that's entertaining and interesting to me. But then when you say, yeah, it's going to be a topical serial killer, I'm like, nope. Out. Not curious. Like, yeah. this is going to have Cal Penn and Michael Cudlitz, who I enjoy very much, but, like, not enough to watch Clarice unless I do it for the podcast. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, On February 19th, uh, on Friday, For All Mankind Season 2 drops on Apple TV. Uh, season 2 jumps ahead to an alt history of the 1980s, and you're going to get new episodes of that weekly. On February 23rd, the CW premieres its superhero block. Mm-hmm. On that Tuesday. So The Flash returns for season 7 at 8pm. And then Superman and Lois uh, will drop at 9pm. They've dropped a kind of weird trailer. Yeah, trailer not trailer. Which doesn't look good. It looks kind of bad. The trailer does anyway from like a design perspective. So it doesn't really help you get interested in the show. In fact, it kind of worked against me a little bit for wanting to watch it, which is not a great sign because I am actually kind of actively interested in this. Um, but that that little tease that they released for it made me not interested. Um, how are you feeling about Superman and Lois? Well, it's not like it's had great buzz, right? <laughs> the little things yeah. we've been hearing have not been all that promising. So yeah, there's Let's also see. that. I do really <laughs> like their central leads. Their cast are very good. Um, so yes. like Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth T- Tullock are great. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. If that, if that, I mean, I've learned before that that is not enough to build a show. So yeah, we'll see what writing choices they make. Um, on February twenty fourth, we have uh, which is Wednesday, the Baroness von Sketch Show is back for its final six ep- or five episodes, um, which are gonna this will be on IFC, um, and this will conclude the series. So it's finishing up with its uh, fifth season. Then on February twenty eighth, which is a Sunday, we've got the Golden Globes, uh, Gold. Golden Globes on NBC and The Walking Dead is back for season 10 on AMC at 9 p.m. Eastern. These are the final six episodes of season 10 and then there's still going to be season 11. So it's like the second to last premiere, I think, for The Walking Mm -hmm. Dead. On March 7th, which is a Sunday, we've got the Critics' Choice Awards on The CW and Pennyworth season two starts over at Epics. Then on Sunday the 14th, we got the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Um, and on Friday the 19th, we got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is, uh, of course, the you know the, the latest Disney Plus um, Marvel show. This is originally was supposed to be, like, they were saying it was going to be a continuing show, but now they're kind of pivoting how they're talking about it. So it sounds like it might just be a miniseries, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. It's supposed to be six episodes, one one a week. Um, and we already know about Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, but uh, Daniel Brühl and Emily Van Camper back and Wyatt Russell's joining the cast. Um, on April 5th, which is a Monday, PBS is kicking off its latest Ken Burns and Lenovic documentary, which is Hemingway. This is three nights, two hours each night, so six hours overall. Documentary about the life and times and everything of Ernest Hemingway. And then our final thing we have here, uh, April 25th, which is a Sunday, is the Oscars, the Academy Awards, are going to be on ABC. So that wraps up our winter preview. A lot shorter than it has been in previous years. I mean, not short, yeah. obviously. We've been doing this for a while. But I think with, you know, with coronavirus and with schedules up very much in the air still, there's uh, there there are fewer shows 
all splashing out at once. Just the shows that yeah. the networks feel more confident about or they have it all done. Um, so I, I would expect to see some shows added to this um, in a way that is unusual. Like, unless some, a show tanks and they pull it and then replace it. Um, I, I Normally, I would expect to see by the end, by the time we get to, like, March and April, some of these shows have ended. Some of these shows have been pulled. Um, so there's actually fewer shows than we anticipate. And this year, I would expect there actually will be some other shows popping up that had not been announced yet at the end of December, beginning of January. So what are your, what's your takeaway? What are your like three shows that you're looking forward to of, of these coming back or, or beginning? Well, so my big takeaway, um, especially based on this is that the CW made the right decision and yeah. just punting its entire schedule um, to premiere much later, as opposed to a number of number of place, the other networks, which were just like, we're going to premiere a bunch of stuff. And they started shooting and then went, oh, no, we can't do this. Yeah. Um, well, and the other networks have their shows coming back as well. I just didn't include them all. But like, yeah, yeah. The, so if a show came back in the fall and then went on hiatus, it's coming back again. But like, yeah. I agree with you. I think like having saving all their doing big splashy premieres the start of twenty twenty one was very smart. Yeah, because it gives the CW like a really full slate to play with, which I think is a really important thing, especially for them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like my big takeaway is that the CW played it really, really smart. Um, I mean, I sort of indicated some of the things I was interested in. I'm very excited about One Division. Um, I'm really hoping it's going to be good. I'm obviously very excited about Promise Neverland season two. I really hope it's somewhere that I can watch it. Um, I am um, actively sort of interested in also um, Resident Alien, which I hadn't heard of until literally just now. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of there for that, especially because it means Alan Tudyk's just going to get to play something weird and delightful. So I'm, I'm of the things that are brand new coming forward. Uh, Resident Alien is probably the thing I'm most actively interested in. Um, what about you? Aside from painting with John, what are you <laughs> looking forward to? <laughs> uh, definitely painting with John, like you said. Um, uh, WandaVision. Um, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Uh, I like. Everyone is doing great. Could be really fun. Yeah, I I love that premise. Like I I'm a, I'm a low key like optimistic about that. Like in five years after the the hit show has gone off the air, but you don't have a new show yet. I think is is really interesting. So it's it's really mean that they're just making a show about Jensen Eccles. But I mean, what are you gonna do? Well, he already you has know, another show. He He's already on... has a new show. I'm just being mean to Jensen Eccles. He's on The Boys in season three. I feel like this is more in Summerholder and Paul Wesley, personally. But yeah. 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 It but is. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, there are plenty of shows that are coming back um, that I'm excited about returning. But those are the ones that I think I'm probably most excited for of of these. So, yeah. Listeners, let us know what you are excited about. Um, and if there's any shows that you are looking forward to that we missed. Um, and if you are the other person in our listener base who is excited about painting with John, let me know too. Uh, and, but that wraps up our winter TV preview. A few show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at the where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us an Apple podcast with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. Um, like I said earlier, you can find my drag race recaps over at the AV club and you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are. 
at Noel RK. Thank you, A, so much for a great week, Kate, and B, for a great year. Like, as great as we could have, yeah. given everything. Go team, um, right? Yeah, go team. Like, being able to discuss everything with you every week has been really great. And then also being able to talk to you for 41 weeks, <laughs> tw- at least twice a week. Um, has been really great as we've we both have to shelter in place. God, remember that term? Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate it. And I'm very excited for um, continuing this into next year. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not excited for us to get to week 52 of streaming in place. Um, yeah, but no, I am no, certainly not. grateful that we've had that as like a, just a way to touch in more than mm-hmm. once a week. And hopefully it's yeah. been helpful for some of the listeners. I know a couple people have reached out and said they really appreciated the structure and like the distraction a little bit. Um, so and certainly I've enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the shows that we've been watching and, you know, making Allison watch Avatar and oh we got some we got some hilarious feedback that I meant to mention at the beginning of the show from our listeners about like seriously after all of that like noir going on you did you guys didn't even mention the Lucifer noir episode in your best of the I year thing completely forgot about like Lucifer entirely it was not on my spreadsheet <laughs> yeah that's the thing is that it was on a different thing so like like come on best titles it never ends well for the chicken should have been in the mix should have been should have been in the mix should have been true. in the mix that's on us um yeah. but yeah because it was like all the streaming and play shows uh were on a different series of notes so when i was calling my list i totally just missed lucifer from that yeah. so then uh because i was so like focused on getting my stuff done so we could record the podcast i didn't like sit back i didn't give myself enough time to sit back and reflect and realize some of the shows that i had left off and one of them was lucifer but um yes we still i still really liked the noir i still really loved the noir episode i still really enjoyed it um but yeah, thank you to the witness. Aria gave a bunch of their picks for all the different categories, which was delightful, including remind like worst death, baby Charlie. Excellent. Oh, excellent pick. That's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of excellent choices over there. Um, but thank you guys for being part of our televerse experience and streaming place mm-hmm. experience this year. Cause it's been a strange one and a difficult one at times. Um, but certainly having this structure and having this opportunity to just kind of, Talk about something else <laughs> mm-hmm. for for an, an hour a day at first and like several hours each week has been really nice. So thank you, Noel. You're fabulous. You're wonderful. You're fabulous. We're both fabulous and wonderful. Go look at us. Look at that. Um, <laughs> uh, listeners, Noel did a fabulous hair toss is what that was. You just couldn't With see no it. hair. With, yeah, <laughs> well, that, that's not the point. You know, that's, that's besides the fact. Um, but we will wrap things up here for this week and we'll be back next week with another episode of Televerse. Welcome to 2021! Woo!